We're continuing our New Year's sermon series, getting started on the right foot. And in today's message, I want to ask you this question. What are you living for in 2019? What are you living for this year? An older man was having a conversation with a friend of his. The old man said, well, Tom, it sure sounds like you're busy with your job. Then the man said, let me tell you something that has helped me keep my own priorities in life. One day I sat down and did a little math because I realized that while some people live more and some people live less, the average person lives about 75 years. And so I multiplied 75 times 52, and I came up with 3,900, which is the number of Saturdays that the average person has in their entire lifetime. Now I was 55 years old when I thought about this, and by that time I had lived over 2,800 Saturdays. And I got to thinking that if I lived to be 75, I only had about 1,000 Saturdays left to enjoy. So I went to a few toy stores, and I rounded up 1,000 marbles, and I put them inside a large, clear plastic jar right here in my office. And every Saturday since then, I've taken one marble out and thrown it away. And I have found that by watching the marbles diminish, I focus more on the really important things in life. You see, because, Tom, there's nothing like watching your time run out to help you get your priorities straight and develop a passion for life. The man said, now, this morning I I took the very last marble out of the container And I figure that if I make it until next Saturday, I have been given a gift. A gift of a little extra time. Then the old man concluded, Tom, one one thing we can all use is a little more time. And so I ask you, what are you living for in 2019? Let me add to that saying, are you happy today? Are you fulfilled? Is each day of your life an adventure? Or is it a dud? You see, John chapter 10, verse 10 says that Jesus came so that we could have life and have it more abundantly. So are you enjoying an abundant life. Last Sunday I told you that at the top of my prayer list was that 2019 would be the year that I finally got to see Jesus face to face. If that was really true and and this was the year Jesus came back, how would you feel about that? 
Seriously, how would you feel about that? Not the shouting amen that we do anytime the preacher says something that we're supposed to amen to, but down deep in the private recesses of your heart, what would you think that this is a year? If you knew Jesus was coming back this year, would you change anything? Besides perhaps pray more? Now I think most of us would begin to get passionate about life, don't you? If we knew that this was actually the year that Jesus was going to come back, I think we would develop an urgency about the days that we had left. I believe we would start to do things that we've been putting off, and I believe that we would enjoy the things that are important to us. Well, I want you to know, friend, today God is calling us as believers in Jesus Christ to live a more passionate life. And if we will get truly committed to him, we won't have to wait to be passionate about an abundant life. Because the truth is, let's face it, our time on this earth is limited. As we have seen this week, tomorrow is promised to no man. And Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, It is appointed for men to die once and then the judgment. Now we all need to understand that death is more universal than life because everyone dies. The Bible says everyone dies. But the truth is, not everyone truly lives. So the question is not how will you die. The question is how will you live? Now, in case you're wondering, which I'm sure you're all on the edge of your chairs, I personally, I'm scheduled to die on December 15th, 2034. If this isn't the year the Lord comes back or any year subsequent to 2034. December 15th. 2034, that's my day. According to a death clock on the internet, that's the date of my demise. Do <laughs> you realize you can go to the internet and find out anything? Interesting, isn't it? You enter some basic data about yourself, and the death clock will give you your checkout time. Isn't that a joyful thought? December 15, 2034. That will make me 79 years old. Well, I went to another website, similar website, and that website said I'm going to live till June 14, 2041, which would make me 86 years old when I check out. I'm going to go with that one. <laughs> I think that's the one I'm going to go with uh, if the Lord tarries. Well, if that's the case, according to the story I shared with you, that means I personally have about 1,200 marbles left. Now, of course, the truth is I could live longer. I could live much shorter. I mean, today could be my last. We don't know. But I do know that the Proverbs chapter 27 says, don't boast about tomorrow, for you know not what a day may bring. You know, when you look at a tombstone, almost all the time you'll see a birth date and the date of death. <clears throat> and those are the days we celebrate, right? 
We celebrate people's birthday, and then we have a memorial service to commemorate their dying day. But the reality is the most important thing on their tombstone is neither date, it is a dash between the two dates. The reason is because eternity won't be affected by either date on that tombstone, but all of eternity is going to be affected by how you and I spend that short little dash on our tombstone. The days are simply bookends. The beginning and the end, but our life is that short dash in between. Now, please understand, I'm not advocating wild indulgence. Like the guy who received a terminal diagnosis from his doctor that he had just a few weeks to live. So he cashed in his 401k, cashed in his life insurance policy, charged his credit card to the max, and went and spent it all. Well, after he had spent it all, Enjoying life, he got a call. And the doctor said, hey, listen, I'm really sorry to tell you this, but we got your medical records mixed up with someone else, and you're not going to die. <laughs> he wanted to die then. <laughs> but there's one thing that happens when you understand that you do have a date with death. You understand the realness of your mortality, and it makes you want to squeeze every minute out of the time that you have left. And what that does, it makes the things that used to matter not matter so much anymore, and the things that we've taken for granted, all of a sudden, they start to matter. And we will become passionate about this thing called life. As a pastor, I can't help but think, what would happen in the church of Jesus Christ if people got turned on to living passionately for God? What would happen if we actually realized that we don't have forever to carry out His will? Now, I believe God wants us to be good stewards of our time. Because after all, the most important commodity we have is not our money. I can lose all the money I have in the bank, and I can work, and I can gain it back again. But if I waste my time, it is gone forever, never to be recovered. And so the most, so the most precious commodity I have is time. But yet the irony of time is that time has no trade-in value. It's use it or lose it, baby. So what, is, what does this all mean? Mike, what are you trying to say? Man, you're depressing us. Psalms 39, verse 4. The Word of God says, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered and that my life is fleeting. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. My existence is but a breath. Now, did you notice that that, that scripture is, is a prayer? Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth is. James chapter 4 says that our life is a mist. We're a vapor. It's here one day and gone the next. And ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you something. If we would really realize that, if we would really get that in our spirit, we would not have time to hold that grudge. And we certainly wouldn't have time to worry about how the stock market is doing. 
Remind me of old Stan Murphy. He was 77 years old. He had worked 60 hours a week all of his life since he was 16 years old. His children were all married. His wife had passed away. So old Stan decided to enjoy life. Had a little money saved up. So Stan went and got him a facelift. Got a new high dollar, high dollar toupee. And a sports car convertible. But one evening he got all dressed up in his brand new suit, straightened his toupee, got in his new car and went to town. Well, unbelievably, he had only gone a mile when he was killed in a car wreck. Unbelievable. Well, he goes up to heaven and he goes up to the gate and St. Peter's standing there and Stan says, what's going on? All my life, I've done the right thing. I've lived for the Lord. And finally, when I had everything in place to enjoy myself, I was killed. What is going on? Why did you let that happen? To which St. Peter said, somewhat embarrassed, well, to tell you the truth, Stan, we didn't recognize you. (laughs) So we need to recognize that our time on earth is short. So enough about dying. I can see you guys are just sitting there just saying, oh, man, I wish he would shut up. (laughs) There are some points I want to talk to you about that have to do with living. First point I want to share with you is that we need to begin to pray this prayer that says, Lord, help me turn my when into now. Help me turn my when into now. Now, you may be like me. I have a lot of wishes in life. I'm a dreamer, and there are a lot of things that I want to do when everything lines up. You know, when things work out. See, those are the when moments. When these things line up, then I'm going to do it. We have all these plans based on when. When I get married, then I'll be happy. Or, or when I'm single, then I'll have it made, which I hope is not what Starla says. People say, when I get out of debt, then I'll start giving to God. Or when my career is established, then I will re-engage and spend time with my family. The problem is that then never comes. So we have these when and then moments, and what happens is it ingrains in us a someday syndrome. Someday. But friend, the problem is I want you to know someday is a day of the week that never rolls around. And so we need to pray that God will help us turn our whens into now because in case you haven't realized it, life is brief. It is but a vapor. I've said this before. Time flies when you're having fun. But even when you're my age, time flies even if you're miserable. It goes fast. It goes fast. Lord, turn our whims into now. I'm a goal-oriented person. You know, I'm interested in, in the final result. And so I'm so much interested in the final result that a lot of times I miss living in the moment. You know, I can have a really good round of golf going, really good round of golf going, and I just can't enjoy it because I want it to be over before I mess it up. I enjoy looking back on the result and relishing in the result more than I do making the result. 
Maybe you think so much about your next project or the next goal that you have that you don't even have time to enjoy the here and now. And you can't appreciate the precious present because your mind is so focused on the perceived fabulous future. But friend, we need to live in the moment. We need to enjoy the present because tomorrow will take care of itself. We need to live for the passion of today. And that means taking pleasure in wherever you are and with whomever you're with, whether it's your husband, your wife, your kids, your friends, or the people at work. No matter where you are or what you're doing, be in that moment completely and totally. Why? Because every moment we have, every breath we draw is a gift from God. I mean, how many times when I was reading a story to my kids, was my mind really at work? Or was it on finances? Or was it on something as silly as a football game? I was going through the motions, but I wasn't engaged. I wasn't there. And now that my kids are grown, they no longer want a story. Unless it's about my will. And so if I only had 30 days left, I would certainly want to appreciate my time with my kids with my grandkids. I would want to appreciate my time with each one of you. Folks, we need to realize how brief life really is and understand what really matters, and that will lead us to living life passionately. And so I need God to help me turn my whens into now. You see, Psalms, Psalms 118, 24 says, this is the day the Lord has made. Okay, this is the day the Lord has made. What are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with the day that the Lord has made? It's a gift that God made and he presented to each and every one of us. What are we going to do with it? Well, the scripture says that we need to rejoice and be glad in the gift. In other words, I need to capitalize on what God has given me. I need to enjoy and embrace the moment. And so wherever you are, you need to be there totally and completely because today is the day the Lord has made. Turn your whens into now because none of us, according to Proverbs 27.1, are promised another day. And first and foremost, we need to live each day with Jesus Christ at the forefront. Now, not only do we need to turn our winds into now, but we also need to pray that God will help us turn our intentions into actions. Our intentions into actions. I'm sure most of us here have a lot of good intentions. But the problem is, for most of us, our good intentions never turn into actions. And you see, that's because actions take risks. And actions are going to cost us something. James chapter 4, 17 says, Therefore to him who knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. That'll make you think. But sometimes the things that may cause the greatest degree of regret are not the sins that we commit, but it's the choices that we have made not to act on something that's going on in our lives and in our heart. So what are your good intentions this morning? What good intentions has God laid on your heart that you haven't done yet? Maybe God wants you to reach out to someone with the love of Christ, but you keep putting it off. I mean, most of us, probably all of us, have felt compelled to appreciate somebody, 
to thank somebody to encourage them. We have the good intention, but we've just never gotten around to it. You know, it's sad, very sad, so sad, that we wait until someone dies before we send them flowers. If we could begin to appreciate life and appreciate those people in our life, I have a feeling that we'd start giving flowers now and not wait until the funeral to start loving people and encouraging people and appreciating people that make a difference in our life. We have the intentions, but we just haven't gotten around to them yet. You see, friend, we need to get over the someday syndrome because this life is brief. And we need to pray that God would help us close the gap between our intentions and our actions. You know, I would love, love to be able to see my parents again. I would love to be able to do something for them. And so because I realize that, I sure don't want to miss a chance to tell my sister and my brother-in-law that I love them. I want to tell my kids and my grandkids that I love them. I never, ever want to miss a chance to tell Starla how much I love her and cherish her. I want them to know how much they mean to me because I don't have enough marbles left in my jar to be squandering and mincing words. I need to say what needs to be said, and I'm thankful that God has continued to give me the grace to be able to do that. But thinking about it is not doing it. I need to act on my good intentions. And so do you. Most of us have known people that their last thoughts were thoughts of regret. Should have done this. I wish that I had done that. Wish I would have spent more time with my family. Trust me, folks, it is horrible to be in a hospital room and a son or daughter rushes in trying to have that last conversation with mom or dad to make things right. Tough, tough, tough. But even worse than that is knowing that we should have had that conversation with the Lord. Good intentions, but no follow-through. So this year, what are we going to live for this year? This year, let's be obedient to what God calls us to do. Let's do it now. Let's do it today. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27 says, Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it is in the power of your hand to do so. Most of us are familiar with the phrase carpe diem, seize the day. We need to seize the day to do what God has called us to do. And the reason is because a lot of dreams die on the windowsill of opportunity because God will open a window, but out of fear or unwillingness to take the risk, we won't step out in faith and seize the moment that God has provided for us. And these opportunities are only there for a moment. There's something to be gained by turning our good intentions into actions. And there's also something to be gained by turning our whims into now. But I want you to know, most importantly, this year, we need to pray, Lord Jesus, turn my whole heart towards you. Turn my whole heart towards you. You know, we're in flu season, and several of you have had the joy of getting a flu shot. Well, what's in a flu shot? A little bit of the flu, right? 
God made us so that if we get just enough flu, it will help us build resistance and immunities against the bug when it comes around. Amazing, isn't it? But you see, folks, I'm concerned that with the church in America, we have gotten our Jesus shot. We have just enough Jesus that when it comes to our commitment, we have just enough so we don't feel like we need anything else. We have a brill cream experience, a little dabble, do you? We have our confession to the right people. You know, because there's some people at work that just wouldn't understand that we're a Christian. We have our attendance every now and then to church. When the offering plate comes by once in a while, we'll flip a nickel to God. We have just enough Jesus to make us feel better and just enough Jesus that we feel like we don't need any more of him. I'm not offended. I didn't expect any amens there. But it's the truth. We're content in giving our nod to God. We received our Jesus shot. We've been inoculated to the gospel in the same way that we can become resistant to certain strains of viruses that come our way. I mentioned to you that the top thing on my prayer list is that 2019 would be the year that I get to see Jesus face to face. Now, I really believe that if we really believe that, if we really prayed for that, our commitment to God would stop being a game. I believe that most of us would develop an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. I have a feeling our study of the Word would be more consistent. Our prayer time would be more fervent. Our worship would be more intense. If I thought this year was a year that God was coming back, I would say, Lord, I want you to have all of me, not 10%, not 50%, not even 90%. I want you to have 150% of my life, and I want every fiber of my being to belong to you. I would say, Lord, I don't want just to know about you. I want to know you as a burning bush like Moses did. I want to know you as a song of my heart like King David did. I want to know you as the Apostle Paul who said, if I live, it's Christ. But if I die, it's going to be glorious gain. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This year, I want to be fully engaged and live my life for Jesus Christ. You see, because there is a very unique story in Mark chapter 12. And Jesus is teaching. And someone asked him, what is the most important commandment, Rabbi? <coughs> in verse number 30, Jesus says the most important commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's exactly what we've been talking about engaging our entire life in Jesus. And then Jesus said, the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, okay. Well, there was a scribe who was listening to this, taking it all in. And the scribe said, well said. Jesus, I get it. I understand what you're saying. I agree with you. And now listen to what Jesus said in verse 34 to the scribe. You are not far from the kingdom of God. You are not far from the kingdom of God. Now, in a positive aspect, we take that and say, hey, we're not far. You know, we're on the way. We're there. We're close. Great. Good. Let's keep going. 
But in other words, what Jesus very well could have been saying, you're close, but you're not there yet. You're close, but you haven't arrived. And that's one of the greatest fears for believers or people who say they're believers or the good moral people who don't think they need church just because they live a moral life. My fear is that so many people in America are not far from the kingdom of God. We know about it. We're in church sometimes. We understand some things about Jesus, but we have not truly engaged our heart in a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. You're close, but you're not really far. You're not really there. It's like in Acts chapter 26, verse 28, when King Agrippa said to the Apostle Paul, you have almost persuaded me to become a Christian. Almost. But not quite. What a tragedy it would be to live in the most gospel-enlightened country on planet Earth in a time when the Word of God is at everyone's fingertips and yet miss it. What a tragedy to come to church, to go through the motions, to be not far, but not be there. One of the saddest words that will ever be heard at judgment will be the bitter cry of almost. Standing at judgment in front of Almighty God. Rehearsing all the things that we thought were so religious, that made us so pious. But hear those words, depart from me, I never knew you. You say, Mike, man, come on. You're depressing. You're depressing. It's going to be depressing if that is you on the judgment day. That's what's going to be depressing. That's what's going to be sad. We get so caught up in the things of life that we think so are important. And a nod to God is way back on our priority list. Almost persuaded. Before we leave this place today, each and every one of us needs to turn our hearts totally and completely towards Jesus.
If your remaining days were represented by marbles in a jar, how many marbles would be left? Now, we have young people here, and they have a lot of marbles left. According to our beginning story, some of your jars are empty, and you're living on the gift of time. But whether you're 12 or 112, life passes so quickly. And so if you knew your date of death, and it was this year, what would be different in your life? If you will answer that honestly, then that will explain what you're living for this year. If you'll be honest with yourself, you will know what you are living for in 2019. Now, of course, most of us, if not all of us, would say, Jesus is, going, is a priority in my life. Okay, well, what does that look like to you? Are you going to worship him more in 2019? Are you going to read his, more, his word more this year? Are you going to do a better job of sharing our faith with Jesus? Will people see more of Jesus in our lives? Now, my prayer is that the answer to all these questions would be a resounding and definite yes. But as my dad used to say, we've got the easy part done, which is talking about it. If we said God is going to be a priority in our life this year, what are we going to do to make that happen? How do we make the changes in our life so it comes to pass? Because after all, most of us have good intentions. But we've got to turn those intentions into actions. How many times have I heard people say, when this or that happens, then I'm going to be able to sell out to Jesus. That's when I'm going to be able to make him Lord. Friend, why would you take the risk? Tomorrow is promised to no one. And today is the day of salvation.